It's Wednesday, February 26th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and I am joined in studio by Motley Fool analyst Bill Mann and Emily Flippin. Happy Wednesday. How are we doing? This is my daughter's 18th birthday. Is that so, right? Wow. Yes. Wow. Yeah, so happy birthday to Allie. So we had a very kind of happy morning. And yeah, so we're doing great. You How didn't are kick you? her out yet? You didn't immediately wake up. Happy 18th. Get out of the house. That's a big birthday. 18 is that's big. <laughs> yeah. She's it is what, big. like four or five years away from being able to rent a car? Or? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I said that. Okay. So, <laughs> we've got lots to talk about. We've got big news at Disney. I would say surprising news at Disney. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk some Lowe's and Virgin Galactic space travel. Who doesn't love space travel? So far, I, I'm not convinced. Okay. Yeah, okay. Well, we're going to get to that. I mean, for me as an experience, I, you know. Okay. Okay. Well, that, that's that's a good tease for what's coming up. But we begin with the coronavirus. Now, the market opening up on Wednesday. Yeah. So, a refreshing change. Now, we're taping this midday. <laughs> we're um, cured. It's done. <laughs> <laughs> we're taping this midday Wednesday. Yeah. President Trump and the CDC will hold a news conference tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, but on Tuesday, CDC officials urging the public to prepare for the spread of the coronavirus within the U.S. Yeah. Bill Mann, what do you think? Isn't it amazing how many people seem to have gotten their masters in epidemiology over the last couple of weeks? I mean, like, like there are ourselves included. Sure, there are expert takes coming from everywhere. Like, literally, if you're to get into a room and talk about coronavirus, the responsible thing to do would be to shrug and say, you know, I don't know. But you know, as market commentators, we know that the market hates that. It really, really does hate any kind of uncertainty. And for me, the real uncertainty is the impact that coronavirus is now having on the supply chain. So, com- companies around the world are really starting to question how much dependence they have had on China and how much, you know, and so we're about to learn about, you know, it's a great radio word, the nonlinearity of uh, supply chain disruptions. All right. So, the nonlinearity of supply chain disruption. In that okay. great radio. I got so, it. Got uh, it. so like for example, uh, Procter and Gamble came out last week and they said they have 387 different suppliers in China, making 9,000 materials that go into 17,000 different products. So, any disruption at any one of these things, at, at any one of these uh, uh, suppliers. Could really, really harm Procter and Gamble. So these things are going to come up from anywhere, and we just don't we 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 don't necessarily know where where it's going to come from. Yeah, I'll just reiterate that. I mean, I guess the responsible thing to do is to shrug and say, "I don't know." Yeah. No, but it's it's interesting because the companies and the industries that can forecast um, some change as a result of coronavirus are largely coming out and they're adjusting their their guidance and essentially saying, "We expect we have no demand from China, right? If everything yeah. in China you could say gets shut down for the rest of the year, this is what we're looking at." Uh, but the reality is, is that companies like Procter and Gamble, um, even companies that have moved their supply chain from China to countries like Vietnam, will still that's a see. Huge impact. Yeah. I, yeah, I know, and it's yeah. it's it's like some people don't realize. Yeah, the impact that's having on all of Asia and and the entire world. It's not China at this point, and it's a testament to just how connected we are as humans. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, there was a process that started this last year with the trade sanctions that companies started moving away from China, and this is accelerating it. So, at the end of the day. 
China is not going to go back to what it was before. And I think that that's a really, really important thing to, for people to think about. But uncertainty is the only certainty right now. That's right? it. <laughs> exactly. Well, let's move on to Disney. Some big news. Disney CEO Bob Iger is stepping down as CEO, but will remain executive chairman until 2021. Yep. Now, Bob Chapek will take over. Chapek was the chairman of Disney Parks Experiences and Products. He's been at Disney for a long time, 27 years. And we knew Iger was going to step down. Yeah. But still, this is a bit of a surprise in who the new CEO is. Yeah, a lot of people thought, you know, Bob Iger came out last year and he put something out called The Ride of a Lifetime and he basically forecasts that he was at the, you know, he was at the end of his time as CEO of Disney, that you know that he would be stepping down. It was not in the middle of The Ride of a Lifetime. This was, you know, kind of a, you know, a foreshadowing. The timing is really odd. Again, given the coronavirus and Disney, Disney parks worldwide are about thirty percent of the revenue of the uh, of the total profitability of the company. Like this is a it's a big deal. Um, yeah, and a lot of people didn't realize, you know, thought that uh, the next leader from uh, would come maybe from. Disney Plus from the from the video side, and they didn't. They went and tapped a guy who's been at the uh, been at the parks. Yeah, I I happen to think it's all a big conspiracy. You know, just to keep the Bobs in power. <laughs> That's I right. Like yeah, it. I it, like it. it feels like a snub. It feels like a snub to someone like Kevin Mayer, who's been heading up Disney streaming service and Disney for so long has been saying streaming Disney Plus. It's the future of Disney. And to bring somebody in who has experience running the park side, the experience side of Disney is an interesting choice. And the market doesn't seem to like it, but I, I kind of do, minus the Bob-Bob thing. It's uh, all strange. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I think it's a good thing, because as you said, it's the parks and it's the experience that has been driving Disney throughout its entire history. And you don't want to put everything on streaming and ignore the extremely profitable, important aspects that is the Disney culture that's created from experiences like parks. The thing that's really interesting, and the Bob Iger it's interesting to me that when Bob Iger became the CEO, I don't know if you remember this, but it was not a popular pick at all. It was not, you know, he was thought of as being the wrong guy coming from the wrong industry. But what he has been, he's been a master uh, capital allocator. He bought Pixar, Lucasfilms, Fox Studios, like Mar Marvel. Marvel. Some nice yeah. tuck in acquisitions. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, transformational acquisitions. But people didn't realize, you know, people did not give him the credit in advance that that was what he was going to do. And I think that one of the reasons that they went the, the direction that they did is the thing that Bob Iger did that people were surprised about is he really cracked the code on direct to consumer for Disney. Yeah. And Baby Yoda. And Baby Yoda. Yoda. Finally, finally, we're going to see some Baby Yoda merchandise. In other high That's not going to sell. <laughs> In other high-profile turnover news, we also had um, news out of Salesforce. The co-CEO, Keith Block, stepping down after only 18 months. That's a year and a half. Now, Mark Benioff will math. be the sole CEO. Thank you. <laughs> so, what do we think? What do we think about the Salesforce news? Who? Keith Block? Right. Yeah, right. I mean, like, come on. Salesforce has always been about Benioff. That that's kind of been their guiding light, I guess you could say, as a company. So I'm not sure if this really changes the needle at all. The co CEO thing really never works. I actually went back. I I, I went back because I asked myself the question: When has co CEOs been a successful idea? <laughs> like, give me some okay. examples. So I went back and I looked and I did a, a search on the Google machine. Okay, and I got an article from. 
Chief, Chief Executive Magazine, which is a real thing from 2012, talking about Research in Motion's decision to get rid of their co-CEOs, and they listed a couple of successful ones. Keep okay. in mind, this is from 2012, so one of which was Chipotle. Oh. Right? Turns out not uh, to have been so great. Not one so was, much. One was Whole Foods. No. Turns out not to have okay. been great. <laughs> Smucker was one, which mm. we can grant them, but it's a family-run corporation. Yeah. The other was Amway, and you know with Amway, who can tell? Okay, well, let's move on. Let's talk some Lowe's. Lowe's reporting weaker-than-expected earnings, missing expectations um, for same-store sales and revenue. Now, Lowe's is doing some, some renovations. They're revamping their website. They're focusing much more on professional home builders and contractors. But, Emily, the Lowe's story, a bit different than the Home Depot story. Oh uh, Yeah, just a little bit this time around. As you mentioned, they beat on the bottom line, but they miss on the top line. And more importantly, their same-store sales growth, which was expected to be just under 4%, came in at 2.5%. So, it, it was it's a, a big sig- miss. It's a big miss in terms mm-hmm. of their same-store sales. Mm-hmm. And I think this has also been catalyzed because Home Depot, reported yesterday, and they had really impressive same-store sales at 5.2%. So, this is to say that both companies have been buoyed by the same strong housing sector that we've Mm -hmm. seen over the past five or so years. But the reason why, in my opinion, Lowe's it's it's not performing as well as Home Depot. As you see Home Depot make a concerted effort to invest in their technology, to invest in the Home Depot experience. And and maybe I'm overly skeptical of Lowe's new CEO, um, Ellison, but I, I didn't like his time at JCPenney. I mean, he came in. How could you? I, yeah, I mean, I mean, what, he was there for what? I, less than a year? I mean, he, he, he kept did nothing. them from dying longer? Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> but it, I wonder you, if he's doing if the same thing. you love what I did at JCPenney. Yeah. Well, Hold on. Yeah. It's, it's, an easy, it's an easy kind of cop yeah. out to say Lowe's is turning around, but it's hard to beat. A company like Home Depot's, which for so long has been trying to invest in changing the experience, uh, I was at a Home Depot this past weekend, and I was so impressed by the technology that the company had rolled out. It had been a while since I've been to one, and it was kind of mind blowing. It is amazing to me because it, when you think about the differentiation between Lowe's and Home Depot, really it comes down to Home Depot has always been geared a little bit more towards the contractors, and Lowe's mm-hmm. has been a little bit more towards if you call them the hobbyists, the do-it-yourselfers. It is weird to me, and I've never understood why Lowe's would try and go after the teeth of what you know the you know of the 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 competitive advantage of Home Depot. Mm-hmm. I I feel like they should have pushed the other direction and build their moats around. Like if you don't know what you're looking for, we've got you, which is what Lowe's always seemed to be and do better than Home Depot. But. But pros in the know shop at Lowe's. I thought. Nice. Pros. <laughs> okay. We we can talk. We can talk about all the things Lowe's has done wrong. But that come on. That catchphrase is like wonderful. That. As, that opposed is money. To, as opposed to let's do this, which is I think Home Depot. Yeah, which, which is, is so horrible. No, I love that. Oh really? I yeah, think that's no, horrible. No, because it gives me it gives me confidence, and I'm like I've got someone working with me. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So let's do this. Let's talk space. Shares of Virgin Galactic falling on earnings. Now Virgin Galactic is the space tourism company founded by um, Richard Branson. And by space tourism, right now, we're, we're talking more space planes that fly tourists to suborbital space and back. And, and that hasn't happened yet. But that's phase one. And we should add Virgin Galactic losing loads of money, but the stock has nearly tripled this year. It's been all right, hasn't it? Yeah. The first the, the the first in orbit flight they have is probably their their, their share price. Nice, <laughs> nice. Okay, so what do we think? What do we think about what do we think about the business? Yeah, I, I'm getting such a good chuckle seeing the stock fall on 
quote earnings, on, right? Like, what are they reporting? And, and <laughs> there's not much to say here. The business hasn't proven itself out, and honestly, nothing that Virgin Galactic said in this call really should move the needle for anybody who is buying Virgin Galactic stock nothing. at this point. Because what you're doing is you're buying in a belief of the future of space travel. It could be five years in the future. It could be 15. We don't really know, but. Virgin Galactic said they had almost 8,000 people who have expressed registrations of interest in yeah. potential commercial space flight. What they're doing is literally the only statistic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and those and they're starting to accept yeah. like a thousand dollar deposits for people who are. It's fully refundable, but for people who are looking to potentially take that space flight, it's almost a Tesla strategy, except for if that Tesla costs a quarter of a million dollars. Okay. Well, speaking of a quarter of a million dollars, let me add that since 2004, Virgin Galactic. Has said that more than 600 people have reserved flights ranging from anywhere from 200,000 to 250,000. I guess it's 200,000, that's coach. I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. No snack. And I, and I can't use points, right? <laughs> right. No snack. You know, on a price to awesomeness ratio, I think that Virgin Galactic is pretty cheap. But that's literally that's that's the only metric I can think of that matters. You know, at this mm-hmm. stage in their you know, in their growth. I mean, if you you either believe in the future of space travel or you don't. And eight thousand people who have signed up, and you know, that's that's interesting to me. Uh, but otherwise. I don't. Yeah, I don't know what they would report. They don't have revenues. They don't have. You know, they don't. They certainly don't have profits. All they have is interest. It's it's, it's the definition of speculation at this point. Yeah, and they've got some. They've got some pretty stiff competition, right? You've got Elon Musk over at SpaceX, and you've got Bezos, Jeff Bezos at Blue Origin. Now, both of those are private. Yep. So, is the name of the game here that you really want to be private, or is there an advantage to being public? Well, clearly, the advantage being public is getting your name out there in front of a lot of people, and being the first publicly traded commercial spaceflight company has a lot of weight to go with it. But the downside is, is it doesn't give you as much time. Time to figure things out. Now, the CEO George Whiteside did say mm-hmm. that their focus this year was going to be on safety, not revenue, and is a testament by to not the... having flights. Oh, <laughs> exactly. But the thing is, is, is Blue Origin or SpaceX, they could potentially have a disastrous launch, and yeah. it would be bad. It would be a setback. But the, they could continue as companies. Virgin Galactic, they mess up once. They will be destroyed for that. The, the difference between them. I mean, if you got Branson's backing, uh, but mm-hmm. he doesn't have the pockets that Musk has. He doesn't have the pockets that uh, you know that um, you know that Amazon has. You know, th- so I uh, I think that they probably are. They're public for a reason. I mean, companies go public so they can tap the public markets for additional equity, which all of these will need. But you know, they've got a they've got a different funding strategy than the other two. Okay, I'm going to count you as both cautious. No, very pessimistic. Not oh, even cautiously what? pessimistic. Wait, I, I have totally misled everybody listening then because I love this company. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I am a I look. I'm 25 years old. I did a poll in the Rule Breaker Investing podcast a few weeks ago, and I asked them, in my lifetime, does somebody make who's making a good living, you know, say more six figures, but not ridiculous, not a quarter million dollars, um, somebody making six figures, will they be able to, in my lifetime, reasonably buy a vacation on into space? Right, and every single person said yes in that room. No. And you know what? I I'm not sure if I know what to think about the stock price right now. But as a company, when I think about the future, I, I can't help but picture that. It might be foolish with a okay. little f. But. Okay, so that's a fair distinction. I mean, we all get excited about mm-hmm. the potential here, but that's yeah. different than saying that you should invest 
in the stock right now. I, I I think that it's speculation. I said it before. If you're if you're buying shares of Virgin Galactic, you're not doing it because you you're doing it based off some fundamentals of the company. You're doing it off up a, a belief. You're almost not buying a company. Yeah, yeah you're, you're you're almost buying faith. Yeah, you're you're yeah, exactly, and that sounds very like you know very trippy, but it's it's true. And by the way, I just actually gave credit to Amazon for Jeff Bezos's investment in uh, in Blue Origin. So I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> this is not a new subsidiary for uh, for for Amazon, but yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, the fact that those two are also in the game, in some ways, gives a little more credibility to Virgin Galactic as a concept. Okay, last week, Emily, you talked about using a Groupon to go skydiving. So <laughs> I, I want to, in a similar vein, okay. And the the big category is high risk adventures. Emily, Bill. Are you interested in going to space? What would it take? A hundred percent. It would be it would be fantastic. Uh, I don't know that I would pay a quarter of a million dollars to do so. Uh, so that 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 feels to me like money that could be better applied elsewhere. How many people do you need to see go into space successfully before you would be comfortable? At least one. Right? (laughs) Definitely at least one. Uh, No, I think I I would even be willing to be on the Maiden Voyage. The Maiden Voyage. Wow. Okay. Emily. I think it would probably take at this price a coupon for like a hundred dollars off from Groupon for for me to you know take Virgin Galactic up on this offer. I like twenty fourth, two hundred forty nine thousand nine hundred dollars. Sold. You are making money. Okay, so let's wrap up with the desert island question. You're on a desert island, and you have to own one of these stocks for the next five years. Um, we're going to leave Salesforce out of it because we didn't really hit Salesforce. So let's go Disney, Lowe's, or Virgin Galactic. I, I, you know what? I want to come back to this in five years, and I'm gonna say Virgin Galactic. And I don't like if you if you tweet at me in the next year about Virgin Galactic's performance, I will not respond. But five years from now, I think Virgin Galactic could be something great. I think that's the answer too. Although, since you're on a desert island, you really could end up with flat nothing with Virgin Galactic, which for the other two is extremely unlikely. Okay, that's true. Well, we will keep an eye on it. Bill and Emily, thanks for joining me. Thanks, back. Thanks. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you tomorrow.